0: Good morning. It's lovely to see you. Happy Father's Day. So we are right slap bang in the middle of a series we've called Stewardship. And the the goal of this series has been to help us to own and understand our God-given mandate to care for those things that God has given us responsibility for. So we've looked at things like work and rest. We've looked at time, talents, and treasure. We've looked at the mind, the body. We've looked at earth and climate, or we will be. And today, and next week, here's our two-parter. Today, we're going to look at the beginning of life, and next week, we're going to look at the end of life. Here's one man's interesting take on the beginning of his life from three years ago. A 27-year-old Mumbai businessman plans, some of you might want to pick up on this, to sue his parents for giving birth to him without his consent. (laughs) I'm not joking. He claims it is wrong to bring children into the world because they then have to put up with lifelong suffering. His mother said, if my son could come up with a rational explanation as to how we could have sought his consent to be born, I will accept my fault. (laughs) Life is precious. And matters around the beginning of life are complex and emotive in many ways. And for some here this morning, I appreciate that will very much be the case. We therefore need to think clearly and biblically and compassionately about these things. I have loads to get through, but I want to pray. Lord, we thank you for life. And Lord, we understand life is wonderful and life is very complex. I pray, Holy Spirit, for help this morning and for much compassion, because you are very compassionate. Amen. So today and next week, we're going to look at, in one sense, how we relate to and care for or steward some of the most vulnerable members of society. You see, we're all responsible. We're all stewards. And how a society or how a people relate to those who are most vulnerable, tells you a great deal about that society or that people. Let's read some verses from Psalm 139. I appreciate I'm diving in at verse 13. David is writing, and he says these extraordinarily beautiful words. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I am awake, I am still with you. Now, we didn't read verses 1 to 6, but in that section, David has marveled at the fact that God knows him completely. In verses 7 to 12, he acknowledges, whether he wants to or not, I don't know, but that he cannot escape from God wherever he went, God is there. He cannot hide from God. And here in verses 13 to 18, David is expressing his amazement at God's personal involvement in his own beginning. He says, God, you knew all about what happened in secret. You saw. My frame wasn't hidden from you, though no one else could have seen it. He says, God, you put me together. You created my frame and my inner parts. You knit me, lovely language, and you wove me together. Their unformed body is the word used for embryo. And God, you ordained my days. God, all that you know about me, he says, would outnumber the grains of sand. I hope I'm scientifically correct here. There are more atoms in your body than there are grains of sand on earth or stars in the universe. You are a wonder. And God has a thought for every atom in your body. So what about the implications for us, especially in regard to stewardship? I'm going to give you three this morning. The first is this, the value of every human being. See, David is expressing here in poetic form stuff about the beginning of his life that is in line with the entire Bible. And especially with the pinnacle of God's creation that we are expressed in Genesis 1, where God says, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. We are not, you are not only the product of natural processes. God was, is personally and creatively involved David was not and you are not an accident or merely a random chance event here's a question have you ever wondered this probably not it's just my weird brain have you ever wondered what if my parents had conceived 24 hours later would it still be me Would it still be you? I have no idea. (laughs) But it doesn't matter because I'm not a random event. David is very clear that God is involved in the natural processes that God himself created. And even if you carry the terrible burden of knowing that your parents didn't want you, God knew you. God was working his creative genius in you. And so biblical faith, this passage as well, Psalm 139, confers upon every single human being equally worth and value. Equally. In David's account of his days in the womb, worth and value come not from his, his, the fetus's ability to do anything, even its usefulness, even its potential, even its potential to know God, worth and value comes from being made by God and known by God, which we all are equally. Though Psalm 139 tells me about me, it primarily tells me about who made me. One writer, Jen Wilkins, said this, our value, yours and mine, derives from our origin. We often read Psalm 139 to bolster our self-esteem, but it's a passage about who made us before it's a passage about what he made. It is an appeal to origin-based value. There are a few artists in this church. One of them is Dino Pickering. Okay. I love his his artwork. It's amazing. But if you found in your attic a long-lost piece of Dino's art, it wouldn't earn you a penny. Sorry, Dino. (laughs) Because the value attributed to it wouldn't be much because Dino's artwork is only relatively valuable. But if you found in your loft a Leonardo da Vinci painting, you want to cash it in because the value of it will be enormous. Why the difference? Simply because of origin-based value. Let me tell you, you could not be more valuable Your person you're sitting next to could not be more valuable. That neighbor you find really difficult, that person at work who winds you up, remember they could not be more valuable. The value of every human being. Secondly, what about the matter of creating life? If we're not only the product of natural processes, but created by a personal God, what are we to make of modern technologies that help to create life. You see, for many people, a desire to have children is a relatively simple process. They're just so fertile. But for others, it can be agonizing. It can be emotional. It can be anxiety-inducing when their desire, not their right, but their desire to become parents Is met with frustration, disappointment, and barrenness. Some of you will know that is extremely painful. Infertility is a source of deep sorrow in the Bible. There's a whole bunch of examples. Sarai, Rebecca, Rachel, Hannah, Samson's mother, Elizabeth. And fertility is seen as a blessing from God. And the Bible talks about God opening their wombs. In biblical language, Psalm 127, verse 3. Here's a word for some parents struggling with their children children are a heritage from the Lord, a reward from Him. Next time your little one's playing up, say that to yourself this is my reward from the Lord. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully, not with that tone of voice. So if A wanted pregnancy comes easily to a married couple, fine. But if not, for a host of reasons, what then? Well, adoption is clearly one possible route, one excellent route. One couple in this church, Dave and Nikki Andrews, are putting out a Facebook and Instagram post on Tuesday about their journey with adoption. It's coming out on Tuesday, look out for it. An adoption, perhaps, is a first option for some. Mention of Andy and George here in this church who felt God call them to adopt rather than have their own children. Highly commendable. But for couples who desire to have their own biological children but are struggling to conceive, medical science is able to offer help in two main ways, IUI and IVF. IUI is artificial insemination. It involves taking the man's sperm and medically inserting it into the woman's womb to help fertilization take place within her. IVF, in vitro fertilization, involves enabling his sperm to fertilize her eggs outside her and then inserting the embryo or embryos. I've spoken to a couple of people. It's a very complex process. It's a very expensive process. Preparation, gathering, fertilizing, assessing viability, implanting one or multiple embryos, the option to store others and questions around that and then waiting to see what's happened. Now, I would say, in principle, Jesus and the New Testament church were pleased to help people overcome diseases and disabilities. And it's true that over the years, Christians have seen medical science as part of God's grace, God's saving grace to his people, but God's grace across the whole of the world. Everybody experiences God's grace, from medical science to the ability to breathe. God is commonly gracious. However, it would be true to say that every advance in medical science brings with it new questions for medical ethics and therefore new questions for Christians to think through. And on this matter, IVF, IUI, there's a spectrum of Christian views. Over here would be one, at one end of the spectrum that would say that anything other than natural sex is not okay. Over here, on the other end of the spectrum, would be anything that helps people to fulfill the creation mandate to be fruitful and fill the earth is okay. There's a huge spectrum of views. Now, this is not an attempt by me to cover everything or give all the answers, but I want to outline some principles and to encourage you to think for yourself. My personal view is this, that it's fine for a married couple to pursue IUI or IVF within these parameters, that the sperm and egg be their own and that it's the woman herself who becomes pregnant and carries the child though I can see some validity to some cases of what's called embryo adoption. That's not the technical term, but effectively that's what it is. And my personal view would also be it's fine for a married couple to pursue IVF within these added parameters, that the gathering and fertilizing of eggs doesn't lead to destroying viable embryos, which is a hugely complex matter, requires lots of conversation with medical professionals. And that sex selection, what's called designer babies, and genetic modification would be incompatible with biblical principles. Now, here's here's the key issue we encounter at this point. When does life begin? I'm not going to say any of this tritely. It's a very complex matter. It's a very emotive matter. When does life begin? When is an embryo or a fetus a human being and therefore a person with rights? Here here are a variety of views going backwards in time. Some would say at birth, i.e., the point when it's said that the baby is able to exist independently of the mother, which I think is not a good way of thinking of it. It may be a separated human being, but it's not independent not suddenly able to function on its own second option is at viability what's called viability the point at which the fetus would be capable of life outside the womb hence the current uk abortion limit of 24 weeks where a fetus is usually deemed capable of surviving outside the womb. But viability is a difficult one, because viability is a changing mark. One medical practitioner said that viability is moving. That point is moving by one, uh, uh, by one week every decade, because of medical science advances. It varies from baby to baby and depends on available technology. So I don't know how viability works. They used to say, at quickening. Do you know what quickening was? No, okay. Quickening was that moment when the mother felt the baby kick for the first time. And it used to be thought that, well, it's suddenly come alive, which of course was nonsense. (laughs) She just felt it kick for the first time. Fourthly, at implantation, about a week after conception, when the fertilized egg is implanted in the womb. Or fifthly, does life begin at conception? Well, I humbly offer to you and believe that this is what the Bible demonstrates. That life that a new human body and soul person begins when the egg is fertilized by the sperm. Now I appreciate that many of those conceptions end in miscarriage. Many very early and even of known pregnancies, one in eight, end in miscarriage. But in favor of The life begins at conception view. Let me offer you a couple of thoughts. Firstly, many scriptures talk about what is growing in the womb as a life, as here in Psalm 139. I haven't got time to read them, but Genesis 25, Exodus 21, Job 10, Job 31, Isaiah 44 and 49, Jeremiah 1, Luke 1, Galatians 1. It's not just a Psalm 139. And here's a really important point in Psalm 139. There is very important continuity in that psalm. Let me explain. John Stott was helpful with this. He writes, or my phrasing of what he wrote, David is saying this, God, you know me now. You know when I sit, you know when I rise, verses one to six, etc. You know my future, all my, the days ordained for me. And you knew me then, in the womb. All of it, he says, is my story. The me that I am, the me that I will be, and the me that I was is the same me. In my personal history, there's no point I could go back and say that wasn't me. It's just the earlier stages of the development of me. Consider... You may have done this with your children. When they're old enough, or they're a few years old, you might want to show them the scan that was taken when they were in your uh, womb. What do you say to them? You say, this was you. And thanks to modern science, we know this, that the brand-new embryo, microscopic embryo, contains the original copy of a new individual's complete genetic code. It's all there, developing. And consider too, and you'll have seen images like this before, what we now know and can see about life in the womb. At six weeks, this was you. Six weeks. <laughs> the heart is beating at six weeks. There's an, there are eyes And nose and mouth and ears beginning to form. There are little paddly arms and little paddly legs. I put it to you, that life begins at conception. (laughs) Thank you for your amen. (laughs) If, If you're wrestling with any of that, please can I urge you to pray and read and talk to someone you trust. Which leads us, thirdly, to the most challenging of subjects, abortion. If God is the creator of life, if life is therefore precious, and if life begins at conception, what are we to think of deliberately terminating a human pregnancy? Now, I appreciate the ground that I'm treading on. In this room, there may well be some who have had an abortion. And you may have worked it through with God. And there may be others in this room who have had an abortion or a man involved in the having of an abortion, and you have not yet worked it through with God. There may be somebody contemplating an abortion. I want to say this to you before I say anything else. We stand in grace. I don't mean that tritely. I don't mean that simplistically. But I mean it and I believe it. We stand in grace. I have some understanding from speaking to people about the impact of these things. I want you to know your Heavenly Father has wide open arms Whatever your background is, whatever has happened, we've all messed up in some ways. And this is hugely complex. I appreciate as well that I've never been there. But one in three women in the UK have. In 2020, there were just over 210,000 abortions reported in England and Wales. One every two and a half minutes, almost one quarter of pregnancies in the UK are intentionally terminated. Modes, modes of abortion vary depending on the stage of the embryo or fetus from taking a tablet to having invasive surgical procedures. Different countries, you'll know, have different stances on abortion. In 16 countries, abortion is banned outright for whatever Reasons In 35 other countries, it's allowed only where necessary to save the life of the mother. And In many other countries, including the UK, abortion is allowed under certain circumstances. Abortion is a very polarizing issue. If you were to live in the United States, it's a hugely polarizing political issue. My observation is that some called pro-choice so focus on the mother's rights that they have very little compassion for what's developing inside of her. On the other side, others who are called pro-life focus so heavily on the baby that they sometimes uncompassionately think of the mother and the father, for whom an unplanned pregnancy can be utterly terrifying. It is an enormously complex matter. Christians who deal with it very black and white, without compassion, I would say humbly have got it wrong and need to understand that Jesus is compassionate in every circumstance. Making the case for abortion, which I am not trying to do, often includes arguments such as these. A woman should have the right to choose what to do with her own body. Another one, in the case of anticipated serious ill health in the child, both for his or her sake and for the parent's sake, the option of an abortion should be offered. Another one is that if continuing to full term would likely impact negatively on the woman's physical or mental health or that of any of her existing children, an abortion should be offered. Most complex in the case of pregnancy because of rape, incest, or abuse, it said that it would be immoral to expect the mother to give birth and raise the child. And if abortion was illegal, women with unwanted pregnancies, it said, would be forced to resort to dangerous backstreet abortions, which sadly has happened. There isn't time to delve too deeply into all of this, but I'm going to humbly offer a few thoughts, knowing that the practical realities are always far more complex than a few quick comments. I would say the she-has-a-right-to-control-her-own-body argument only works if you believe there isn't another body involved. The embryo, the fetus, the baby. I believe the fetus though attached and though dependent, is a distinct person. I've tried to highlight that. Not just a part of the woman's body. I'd also say that the argument regarding significant ill health in the fetus is a very difficult and very emotional one for the parents. Especially in that very rare case where the health of the mother is in danger. But in most cases, what's being said, I believe, is this. That ill health, that disability, limitations, mean that life is less than any other. Either not worth living or not worth caring for. When I gave this talk at Southbourne, Two weeks ago, one lady there came to me afterwards. In fact, two people spoke to me. One lady came to me afterwards and said how she had been offered an abortion at some point in her pregnancy when it was known that her daughter had a condition that I was horrified to hear she had been offered an abortion for. In most cases, it's value by physical capacity or ability which we would fundamentally disagree with, that every human life has equal value. I remember being shocked when I think we were, I think Jackie was pregnant with our first son, and I hadn't anticipated this, and we were offered screening for Down syndrome. I didn't want to know about it. I didn't understand why, well, I had some appreciation, and I know it's a very complex matter, but I was horrified. In the future, here's what worries me a little bit, What else might we be able to scream for and say that one doesn't, it would be better if you didn't let that one go to full term and be born? Consider a girl called Zoe Thomas. Zoe Thomas from Australia was born, sorry, was diagnosed in the womb with anencephaly. Anencephaly is where the top of the brain, sorry, top of the skull doesn't form And so the amniotic fluid basically dissolves the brain in the womb. Against advice, the parents, these Christian parents, decided to carry the daughter to birth, knowing that she would probably die at birth. The reason they pursued that was because they did not feel that they had the right to say that their daughter's life should end. She wasn't expected to survive, but she lived for four years. Now, that's unusual, I appreciate, but I want you to hear the values in what they said. There was an interview that I watched. What was her life like, the questioner asked, and what was it like for you as a family caring for her? The mother, Helen, said, she was highly disabled. She couldn't do anything. She was really just here to be cuddled and loved. She could only very slightly move her hands and feet. She couldn't see, she couldn't hear, she couldn't cry, she just laid there, really. She slept and she woke, but she wouldn't couldn't communicate with us. But we communicated with her, as though she was completely normal, and she came with us wherever we went. The questioner went on to say, "Why then would you say this was a worthwhile life? Because you appear, Helen, to believe it was." And she said these things. Well, she couldn't do anything in the world's eyes that was an achievement. She couldn't run or talk, dance or sing or do well in an exam. But she was one of us and she took her place in our family and we loved her. She taught us that actually you don't have to be good at things. You don't have to achieve things to be able to be loved. We loved her just as we loved our other children who can do and achieve things. Here's the value behind all of that. A value we've already mentioned this morning. Zoe's value was in the fact of her personhood. Of being loved and being known by God and her family. Let me finally say that abortion, common as it is, is often an emotionally very complex matter. There's a lady in the church that I was at in Torquay, who was kind enough to, in preparation for this, kind enough to talk to me about the abortion that she had had when she was much younger. And she tells of um, finding out that she was pregnant from a fling. And the shock that she experienced was utterly awful. She was confused. She didn't know what to do. She felt totally alone, unable to speak to anyone, knowing that her father, who had previously, for whatever reason, said, if that ever happens to you, I'm throwing you out. She lived with unbearable guilt. She used to have dreams. She felt like she was living under a shadow, she said. And then she wonderfully and gloriously found freedom from that guilt and that shame in Jesus Christ. Because Jesus will restore anything. He is able to free everything. He is able to set anyone free and love them and accept them. And this lady has gone on to help others who've been in a crisis pregnancy. In summary, let me say this. Unplanned pregnancies are immensely challenging and many of you will know people who have been going through those situations. They're often met with panic and conflicting emotions and occasionally they involve extremely complex matters such as rape or danger to the mother's health. But in almost all other cases, the values behind a decision to abort would struggle to line up with biblical values far more crisis pregnancy support is needed if anybody here has a heart for it let me encourage you to pray and seek some wise counsel about it to help people process the shock of an unplanned pregnancy to discuss options that isn't just an automatic track to an abortion I was really proud in my days in Torquay to be closely associated with a crisis pregnancy centre that was the only one serving hundreds of thousands of people. I'm really aware that this morning some of this content will have affected some people. I want you to honestly look me in the eyes and know that there is compassion. There is grace, there is forgiveness, there is restoration. If you're a couple struggling to fall pregnant, there are people who will happily chat and journey with you. I want you to know this. You matter. You matter not because of the modern thing of find something inside yourself that gives you value. No, we have a value that is spoken to us. By the highest authority, God himself, who says, I made you, I planned you, I wanted you, you are loved. You don't have to find some love from within yourself. You don't have to find identity somehow and dig it up from yourself, as our culture has to say. Our culture has a pathetic message on identity. It's utterly useless. You wait and see what's going to happen, the decades roll by. The Christian faith has this. God Almighty, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit say, I knew you in the womb. I saw what was going on. I planned your days. I knew you then. I know you now. I'll know you, and you'll be with me, knowing me forever. The Christian faith tells a better story about the beginning of life. The Christian faith tells, tells about every human being created with equal dignity. The Christian story tells a better story about the restorative power of Jesus Christ. He is a very great saviour. We have a very good father. We have a wonderful Holy Spirit empowering us within. I'd like to encourage you just to close your eyes where you are. For those who would say, that was interesting, none of it touched me, that's absolutely fine. But we are all stewards. We are all responsible for the society and the church in which we are living. What is it for you today as you've got your eyes closed? For some, it may be serious pain. My intention was not to cause pain, but to help and say, Holy Spirit, come and heal and restore Lord, in any of these matters, if there is shame in this room, I appreciate that may take some process, but Lord, I want it to go and be banished in Jesus' name. Be banished in Jesus' name. If anybody's wrestling with any of that stuff, I want you to see Jesus, see the Father as the prodigal son found him, arms open running to you. I'm not going to have a call forward for prayer, though there will be prayer available afterwards on your front right. Bless us deal with stuff with God here. Maybe you've got friends who need your support through this, whichever part it is. if you're wrestling with some of this and you've never dealt with it before God let me encourage you to begin to do so it might be more than this couple of minutes but please begin to do so his arms are wide open If you're a couple wrestling with fertility issues, his arms are wide open. If you've wondered if you have value, his arms are wide open. Come, Holy Spirit, touch our hearts, all of us. You've got children here, they're being held for another five minutes, so don't rush off to get them yet. I'm going to stand and sing in a moment. Do you believe the restorative power of the gospel? I believe it. I believe the gospel, I trust the gospel. Applying it to your heart and your mind, Jesus restores. Jesus is with us in every situation we're facing. And may He help us to go and be good news to our friends and our neighbors, our family members who are wrestling themselves with these things without the gospel. Lord, we thank you so much for the good news of the gospel. We thank you we haven't got to fight for value. We thank you you're with us in wrestles of fertility. We thank you you are with us where abortion has hit home. And you're with us in every other matter around the beginning of life. Father, help us steward well. We ask in your powerful name. Let's stand and sing. A song we can all sing. God, I look to you.